to Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and find that. Thank you. Pastor Lloyd gave me the little flick with his hand that it was my turn. So I'm here. Luke chapter 9. I was actually, uh, as I look around and see the families in the church, it, uh, it often touches me uh, sincerely because I remember you from a long time ago. And uh, Suzanne said to me, Mrs. Blake never looks older. I said, I know, what's the secret? She said, she said it's her hair. I said, all right, well, not sure I can do much about that. But, uh, but just to see uh, many of you uh, who God has uh, blessed. Um, and I hope that you've not forgotten your own story of what God has done in your life. I remember the Sunday morning that Phil and Debbie walked into the church uh, the first time, it's clear in my memory, and they just recently married, I think. Uh, I know that they'd mentioned they're from the Sunshine Coast. I looked over this morning and saw the three girls sitting over there with Debbie, and I wanted to get a picture because that's all still dear to me. Uh, to look at some of you, look at your children now, see what God has given you. I remember you before you were married. Uh, I remember the struggles that a lot of you had. Uh, Pastor, what God has done in your family is just a wonderful blessing. Pastor and Cassie were with us just sort of on their honeymoon when they first married in America. And we've got some stories that we'll save for another time. (laughs) But uh, it's all good stuff. And, uh, you know, if you never reflect on what God's done in the past, there's a danger that you'll enter into forgetfulness. And uh, the danger is you'll forget your own story, how God took you. And, uh, and you, didn't, you were nothing. And look what God has done through you and what God has done in your life. And how many times did you pray and cry out and you wondered what was going to happen And uh, your greatest fears haunted your mind as you contemplated what could take place. And yet again and again, God has delivered you and uh, God has preserved you. Is that not so? And it's good to to remember those things and uh, to reflect on what God has done. Luke chapter 9, I'm also going to read from John chapter 4. So I will start with John chapter 4, just a couple of verses. And uh, thank you. Uh, Brother Ross for the Bible reading, I appreciate that. I did notice that when Alvin came and did the Bible reading this morning, that he in fact had to bring a visitor Bible to do it. And uh, I have long suspected he was a Jesuit plant, <laughs> but after that this morning, I, uh, I'm feeling a little bit affirmed. <laughs> what person comes to church without a Bible? What person asks a person like that to do the Bible reading? I, I, I don't know. When I saw that, I thought, good night. Take up an offering and buy the boy a Bible. He doesn't have a Bible. Well, uh, John chapter 4, Luke chapter 9. Uh, somebody asked me earlier on, they said, uh, have, you, have you got a series? You're going to preach a series? And I said, no, no. And I really don't even have a theme. I just, I just have a message that God gives me that I think is the one he wants you to have tonight. And uh, the next time that I get asked to preach, if Jesus hadn't come first, I'll try to give you the one for that night. 
And I really don't know how to work it any other way. Uh, when I preach in other places, even when I go to America and uh, <coughs> the larger conferences with, you know, thousands of delegates attend that, I really wish I could fly in and just have it all mapped out. I really, it would take a big stress off me if I could do that. Uh, but it's just never kind of worked that way. Uh, I pray and I trust the Holy Spirit is able to uh, direct me to uh, a, a place in the Word of God and then also to just uh, move my thoughts so that it would be the right thing to minister to the right people at the right time. And I still think that can happen. There's nothing wrong with planning if, uh, if you're uh, led of God to do that, and that's fine. But uh, I think uh, uh, at least, again, for the next, uh, we're, we're preaching here, I'll just give you what God has given me. So I've called this a higher perspective. And uh, I called it that because in Luke chapter 9, the reading we had, you saw the reaction of a couple of the uh, disciples in regard to something that happened. And uh, we'll, we'll visit that a little bit. Uh, but what I want us to do, I, I guess, is to just think about uh, how we are supposed to react to the things that happen in our life and, uh, and the perspective that we ought to have. And I believe that often we, we, we fail in having a right perspective. And uh, our, our default is ourself. And so what happens is uh, uh, to... Uh, most believers, I think, uh, their default in judging a matter or determining a situation uh, is they just judge it. They might word it this way, well, I judge it how I see it. And really, usually what that means is I judge it how I feel it. And uh, they often are just led by, you know, what, what, that, what brings it up in them. So I want to just, you know, flick back in a minute, but to understand Luke chapter 9 and why uh, James and John would say, well, let's pray that uh, fire would come down and consume these people like Elijah prayed. Well, actually, if you look at the, what Elijah prayed, that, that wasn't exactly what happened with Elijah. It's interesting, people's bent on Bible stories even back then. You tend to see the things you're looking for sometimes. And, uh, and their, their take from that was that, you know, God got them. And a lot of people died, and they did, but they didn't die from being burned up. Uh, they died from, uh, you know, being put to the sword later on. So a uh, little bit uh, of their perspective is seen there. In John chapter 4, everybody's preached on John chapter 4, and why not? It's a, it's a great passage, and, and, you, and you, you could and should preach it. Uh, but regarding the woman from Samaria, who Jesus finds at the well and... Remember, he talks to her, and, uh, and from that, he would go to, uh, to stay there a while, and uh, many other people would, uh, would come to believe uh, through that conversation. Verse 41 says, and many more believed uh, because of his own word. He abode there two days, verse 40 says. But what I want you to just see that would connect uh, somewhat with Luke chapter 9, see in uh, verse 9 of John chapter 4, uh, and, and these are, this is good because it helps us to understand what I suppose we could have uh, maybe studied in history and worked out, but this is just the Bible illuminating the Bible. Uh, it says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is, uh, how is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews 
have no dealings with the Samaritans. So that's good for us to uh, be aware of that information, that there is a cultural tension uh, between the Jews and the Samaritans. And, uh, and it's, not, uh, it's not feigned, it's there. And it's there that this woman just sort of bluntly lays it all out and says, well, you know, I'm not even sure why you would be talking to me because it's clear that you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan and your kind does not have anything to do with my kind. Now, we're not living in a day where we have Jews and Samaritans commonly in our midst, but we are living in a day where there is cultural conflict, where there is cultural conflict between people who believe one way and people who have other perspectives about things. And may I say that that cultural conflict is is not uh, decreasing in Australia, it's increasing. Uh, There was a time when most Australians were more or less on the same page. Uh, It didn't mean that, you know, every minor little thing was agreed on, but more or less there was agreement about our nation's values and uh, what we thought a family was. And uh, we didn't even question fundamental things like who was a man and who was a woman. We, people didn't think that even needed to be visited upon. And, and I'm just saying there was a time when it seemed like there was more a, a cultural cohesion, though not perfect. But today, and increasingly so, there is cultural conflict. And uh, it's being fueled uh, by the media, certainly, Uh, Social media, I think, has done far more damage than it's done good. Uh, I'm I'm not saying that no good thing can come. I've won people to Christ uh, through social media who are sitting in independent Baptist churches now serving God. Uh, But I still believe it's done far, far more damage than it has done good. Uh, So so, uh, Samaritans and Jews, by her testimony, don't have any dealings together. Uh, verse number 20, he was the issue at heart of John 4. She said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So you have to understand that to get the offence of Luke chapter 9 because that, that was the problem in Luke chapter 9 why they were not willing to receive Jesus. They would have been willing to receive Jesus if he was not going to Jerusalem. But, but they, they, were, they were, as it were, drawing a line and saying, well, you know, decide for them or decide for us, but you're not going to have both. Because there was contention or disagreement about the right place of worship. Now, uh, there is an answer to that, uh, and there's a correct answer, and we'll, we'll sort of, uh, well, we, we'll, we'll mention that again in a little while, but, but I just want you to see what the, the problem was here. Now, go to Uh, Luke uh, chapter 9, and uh, we already read from verse 51, so Jesus is uh, on his way to Jerusalem, and we see the unfolding of that, and then we see the the response of James and John uh, in verse number 54. Now, you know, if we're going to judge anything in life, if we're going to judge any matter as believers... If we're going to judge it correctly, then we have to do it from God's perspective and not our own. 
So if you want a simple definition of what is it to be wise, uh, it's, it's to be wise is to be able to stand in God's shoes when you look at a matter and determine it from God's perspective. So, so wisdom is the ability to see it as God would see it and to be able to say what that is in simplicity. Now, uh, many times, as I said, that is not the default of even believers. And I do want to prod you a little bit here because I, I think it's common for Christians. I, I, think it, I think it's common that you don't always see how you're judging a matter, that you don't always see that uh, you're defaulting to yourself and uh, you're not looking at it from God's perspective. Um, the spiritual person has to, as it were, leave himself, to step back from himself and judge something from God's perspective. Now, there was a failure to do that here with these, uh, at least these two, it was probably more. There was a failure to do that here. Remember that Philip at a later time is going to come back and win a lot of these people. So, so God was not done with these folks. Uh, it was, God was not sitting up there thinking he wanted to smite them because actually God, uh, numbers of them were going to come to Christ. In fact, a revival was going to come that people would talk about all over the area. But it just wasn't, it just wasn't that, that particular timing. And uh, so, so when you misjudge something, you, know, you, can, you can miss the intent of what actually God is trying to do. So we have to be careful that we don't do that. If you're going to judge it from God's perspective, and, and here's what I want to say. I want you to bring this down to your dealings with other people. So we're not just living in the world of Samaritans and Jews. I want to bring it down to the comments you make about other Christians and, uh, and the, the things you talk about about other people and the stuff that comes out of your mouth without a great deal of thought. And I'm going to say that, that, again, the danger is that that's just more of you and not too much of God. And, and we, ought not to want to, we ought to want to be better than that. But you will not be able to judge something from God's perspective if you don't know what God is like. So how, how, how will you say this would be God's view on that if you don't know what God is like? Now, I don't say you don't know God. If you're saved, I believe you know God. But I've seen many saved people who don't seem to know too much more about what God is like. They attribute all kinds of things to God that is not terribly God-like at all. And so clearly they don't understand how God works. In fact, what they've done is just become uh, preconditioned, maybe through the perspectives of some others who don't know what God is like either. And that tends to be their view on things. So if you're going to get a right perspective on what you're dealing with in your church, with other people, on the mission field, in life, at work, on the telly, what you're reading, getting a God perspective, if you're going to do that, you've got to know what God is like and you've got to at least remember enough Bible that you can understand, you know, from what perspective you should be judging something. So if you don't know that, that automatically ought to quieten you down. Because you're, you're not someone who should be talking too loud at the moment. You're still learning God. You're still learning the Bible. You're still getting better understanding. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 15 we read, He that is spiritual judgeth all things. 
Now, the best exegesis I ever got on that verse came from Joan Francis. And uh, she said to me one day, I'd mentioned that verse, and she said, yes, Pastor, uh, the spiritual man judges all things, but not all people. And I thought that was well said. And that stayed with me. That's true. The spiritual person is able to look at something and, and judge it in this sense, determine what it is, have understanding about what's going on there, have a godly perspective of what he's seeing. And uh, judging things is okay because uh, you, you, you know, you'll have wisdom, you'll learn, you'll, you need to understand what's there. Uh, some of the men of God who most influenced my life influenced because they had an ability to point to something that I could see but did not understand and they would put a name on it. And they would say, you know, you see this. Well, I saw it, but I didn't quite know what. They say, this is this. And so spiritual people ought to be able to judge things, but we're not saying to judge all people. Many times people say something and uh, they say it because they are thinking it. And what we think often comes out of our mouths very quickly. And what they say will be off balance. It's It's not rightly balanced in what they say. It's not a proper God perspective. They might fling around the name of God. They might dive into their Bible and grab a verse here and there. But it's not a balanced perspective about what's going on. And I, I'm, I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to push you up a bit here. So you go, hmm, mm, that is true. We, I must learn to look at it that way. Because the God perspective will clear away a lot of the fog in your ministry problems. But you'll sit down there and, you know, you'll get a pain in the brain trying to work out a lot of this stuff from a human level. And why do they do that? And, and why did they say that? And why do people act that way? And you're doing, you know, you've got to get out of yourself there and step back and say, God, what's your perspective here of what is happening? Uh, show me and teach me that I can understand. And part of that revelation or that illumination that God might give you might be a revelation about yourself, like this. Well, you cause that to some degree. Well, that's painful. I like to focus more on what they've caused. I, I like it better when it's 100% their problem and none of mine. But, but when God rightly divides a matter and brings it before us and the Holy Spirit tells us some things, he'll show you what your part was in it. And let me say, if you, if you want to walk with God and, and have the blessing of God in your life and have the anointing of God in your life, when God points out that you were just 10% wrong in it, that's enough to repent. Because what we will do, we will argue that 90% far outweighs my 10%. But you see, that's, it's not about them, it's about you. You, you have your dealings with God. I, I, I share the, the story, I think I've shared it here before, but... I remember having conflict many years ago, long before I ever got here, uh, with another person in the ministry, and it was ugly and it was awful. And, uh, and, and you know, if you're in the ministry, don't sit here and say, oh, this never happens. It does happen, and I know it happens to you. I know it has. I know enough missionaries, I know enough preachers, I know enough evangelists, I've been in enough places. I know it happens. I wish it never happened, but I know it does happen. And it was just one of those situations, it was ugly, it was unpleasant, and it was eating away at me. And, uh, and it, was, it, was, it was troubling me so much that I couldn't think about anything else. 
I don't know if you've ever had somebody do something to you or say something to you and you just keep rehearsing it in your mind. And, uh, and what you do, you know, you lay in bed and create scenarios of how you're going to answer it. And you say, I'm just going to say this to them. And then you hear in your mind what they say back to you and then you work out what your next answer is back to them. And you're planning out a whole narrative in your mind and, it's, and you know what's eating at you. It's got you. It's there. It's in you. Okay, you have a problem now. And you've got to, you've got to get that out. And uh, boy, it was eating at me. So much so that I drive home from work take a detour just to drive past their house, just to slow down and snarl. I might even go, I just slow down and go, there they are. You know, and it just, and it, man, you, you say, you, yeah, boy, it had me. And, uh, and it, was, it was distracting me from all sorts of other things. And you say, was it you? Was it them? Well, I think it was a combination. Finally, God said to me one night, you know, you, if you want to, be right with me. If you want to go forward anywhere, you go and get it right with them. And uh, I had reasons that I could suggest why that may not work or, uh, you know, but, but I, I yielded. Now, would you? It's just an absence of people who go to other people and say, you know, I was wrong. And I know why you don't go because you say, but they were wrong. Yeah, you, you, live in that, you live in that trench your whole life where, where you will deflect away your wrongs because of the greater wrongs of another. And then you'll wonder why you've bogged down and you're not going anywhere with Jesus. See, it's all the stuff you don't see that explains a lot of the blessing and anointing that you do see. God laid it out. You go there. And you, so I remember I, I drove around and went up and knocked on the door. And uh, we went to another room to chat. And it was pretty ugly. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the, the person concerned was pretty worked up and said all sorts of things. And I tried to answer and, you know, attempt to get some of it right. And, and you know, just it didn't really matter. That it was hard to get anywhere. And finally they said, get out. Get out. You say, well, that went well. Hey, when you, when you follow the Lord, it always goes well. It always goes well. It's not over yet. So I, so he said, what did you do? Well, I, I had, I, you know, when they say get out, get out, you normally you ought to get out. So I, I got up and I left, walked through the front yard in the night. I remember it. Got out, the door slammed closed behind me. Got in my car. And do you know what I found in my car? Sweet peace. Boy, it just swept over me. God said, well done, son. And I drove away and just, just, just peace was back. Joy was back. And it never came into my mind again. Never came to my mind again. And it wasn't, it wasn't a hindrance to my ongoing walk with God. You know, we don't get that much anymore. Well, you go and preach in Papua New Guinea and night one, people are up getting it right with others. You know, there'll be someone going to someone and someone saying sorry, but, you know, we, we're so well versed in remembering what others did to us. And, and you know, we, we argue, whoever had the greater percentage has the greater fault. It's not about the measurement of human fault, it's about rightness with God. 
rightness with God. You'll hinder your own ministry. There'll be souls you'll never reach because of that grudge you have with another missionary or a preacher or a church member. There'll be blessings that will be marked with your name but will never make it down because of your own heart attitude towards another. And you ought to to just, you know, think carefully about that. So often we judge things and our perspective is not a God one. We say things. Some people, you know, they're like Peter. They know a little bit of Bible and they just swing their sword to try to save God. And all they do is end up removing the ears of everyone around them, which means nobody listens anymore. Nobody listens anymore. So we have things like here to, to, I think, when God puts things like this in the Bible, this is here for a lesson. And uh, can you understand that if God put this story here, God has something to say to you in it? It's, uh, this, you're supposed to meditate on this and, get, get, and learn, what, what, what's, what's my lesson, Lord? Or what, what are the lessons, Lord? Why would you tell us about that? How many other things happened with the disciples and we never got told about that? But there's some things God put in the Bible and they're all needful and they're all necessary. And you have a situation here where there's a cultural conflict going on and some personal hurt and other things. And so how, how, how should you respond? We live in a day of cultural conflict. How should you respond? Now I could turn on the TV and look at how, you know, Fox TV responds, Fox News, but that may not be God's way. Or I could look at CNN on the other side, but that may not be God's way either. The question, the question is, as a believer, in the midst of cultural conflict of values and, and all kinds of things being said and done, how, how, what does God want you to respond? What's the godly way to respond? A pastor last year told me he went to a conference in another country and uh, he said, I went to this, uh, this conference where a whole lot of preachers got together and uh, he said, it was just a terrible thing, I'll never go back. And this was a man that I'd known over a number of years, pastors a, uh, a good church, maybe around 500, 600 and uh, we chatted and he said, you know, it was just awful. He said, uh, one, he said, there was just preachers there. It was through the, through the middle of the week, you know, a couple of hours through the day. And he said, the preachers just got up and he said, one speaker followed another, you know, name calling all the stuff going on in our community and uh, denigrating all those who were doing things that were unbiblical or immoral. He said, uh, uh, to which those listening uh, begin to shout out from the pews, Burn them, burn them. And, uh, and they thought that was just, you know, a real hoot to have a meeting like that. And that might make for an entertaining preacher's gathering, but that's a sure way to become an ineffective leader who will, who will not know what to do with the, with the cultural conflict that's going on and not only will not know what to do yourself, but you will not know what to teach your people. And we are living in a day of huge social and cultural upheaval where the people of God want to know what do we do? What's, what's the God way with this? What's, what's God's perspective on this? And, you know, preachers like that, that's not a whole lot different to hear. 
And I'm telling you, I'm not joking. Burn them, burn them was what they were yelling. That's a direct take from our passage here. Those preachers are paddling a canoe called irrelevancy down a fast-moving river called extinction. They're on their way out. And that's not going to help anyone. So what's the, what's the right response? Well, uh, you know, the Samaritans here, basically they were saying to Jesus... Uh, if you're going to go to Jerusalem, we, we will not receive you because, you know, we say it's this place and, and they say it's that place. Well, you know, right back in John chapter 4, there's always a truth to these discussions. What I mean is there, there is, there is it's, not, it's not really that vague about what is the truth. The truth of it is, if you want to bluntly say it, was the Samaritans were wrong and the Jews were correct. The Samaritans were wrong, the Jews were correct, Jerusalem was the place. God had chosen it. It was clear. Uh, uh, that's the truth. But if you look at how Jesus responded in, in, uh, in John chapter 4, the question comes up when you're dealing with these things where you say, well, pastor, there is a truth about this stuff. Well, you're right. And I'm not, I'm not I agree with you. I, 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 think, it's, I think it's clear uh, what the truth is in many of these matters that are causing this uh, cultural uh, uh, shift or conflict. But the question is this, what truth should you put before what truth? So, so the truth of it is, uh, little lady at the well, your fathers were wrong. The, tr- the truth of it is, when you say, we say, you say, the truth of it is, actually, you were wrong. But you'll see that, that none of that comes up. Now, try and give you a little wisdom here because, because what people will say is, well, but, but the truth is this. We agree with you. But the question is, what truth comes first when you're talking to somebody? When, you, when you're talking to some people, where do you start? Should you start with the point of conflict? Should you launch in immediately to what you disagree about? Do we win anybody like that? And, and, what are, and really, what are we trying to win? Perhaps just an argument. We're supposed to be winning souls. And a lot of those souls can be won. So what do you start with? You look in John chapter 4 and you say that, you'll see that Jesus did not get into a discussion about mountains. Because she said, well, you say this mountain and we say this one. And you won't find Jesus having a discussion about mountains anywhere in John chapter 4. Though I bet it probably did come up after he spent a couple of days with them. I bet after he spent a couple of days with them and they got to know him and they understood who he was and they believed on him, likely they then did question him about those other truths. But he sure didn't start that way. Hello? It's a little bit of wisdom here about dealing with people, about, about where we go, how we start, what should we do. And, uh, and neither did he react to her words when she said, well, you know, our, our fathers taught us this. You know, when somebody said, well, my father always taught me, and you just said, well, your father is wrong. Well, you're going to be off to a flying start to win that person to Christ. You know, you try and do that on the mission field. Well, my father taught me, always taught me this, or, or grandparents always taught me this. 
well, you know what, they're just wrong and they're probably in hell too. Well, that would be good. You'll win a lot like that. You know, you may say a truth, but the timing is wrong because, because there's another truth that should come before that truth. And, and is it not so that, that the first thing God wants to do is get us to Christ? Because when we get to Christ, we're born again. The Spirit of God then indwells us and we become fit to become recipients of truth. And we're able to hear things that we were not able to hear before. And it's hard for you to expect dead men to be responding to spiritual truths. You need to understand their state. So, so having an argument about these things is, is, is not helpful. And she said, well, our, our fathers, you know, a lot of people are just following beliefs of their fathers. Now, that maybe doesn't sort of dig too much here with our culture, but it sure means a lot to a lot of other people in the world who were raised in villages and places where the elders, the fathers, the grandparents decided everything. Uh, they decided the religion. You know, we don't give too much thought in this country that you can choose mostly what you want to believe. But let me tell you, two-thirds of the world does not have that liberty as easy as you have it. They'll pay a, a, big, a big cost. People, some places they'll have to flee if they're going to trust Christ. Others will be ostracized and we see that even where we are. So you don't want to be just tearing down the beliefs of what others have said. You need to be wise with that. Get a God perspective and work out what to do. Foreign missionaries sometimes want to go to, you know, for me, my say, Buddhist countries and they say, what book do you recommend on Buddhism? I say, you don't need to buy a book on Buddhism. Go and talk to people. Because none of the people you're trying to win have read the books on Buddhism that you're going to read. They, don't, they, they won't know. And you'll think you've read something and you'll develop a rebuttal and it'll mean nothing to them. And just, just sit with them long enough and you'll find out what they believe. And uh, you can talk with them about that. Uh, they, they're just, you know, following what others have said. There's a man I know in, uh, in Thailand now. He's an independent Baptist pastor. He wasn't before. Uh, but he uh, ordained to the ministry in recent years. But before that, uh, he was an ordained Buddhist monk who stayed in the temple for many years. So he was very devoted. You know, he wore the, the orange robe and he lived in the temple. And at the first sign of light, he would grab his uh, uh, arms bowl that they have. And if you, if you get up early enough when you go to those countries, you'll see this happening. You sleep into 10 or 11 o'clock in your hotel, you won't see too much of it. You know, all you're thinking about is the bacon and egg buffet, but, but if you get up early enough, you will see that this stuff still goes on. And, uh, you know, often from my window as I get up and it's just changing from dark to light, I look out and sure enough, they're out there. And uh, he was like that and he was in there for years and years and years. And I, I'm not talking that he was just, uh, uh, you know, lukewarm about it. He was really in deep. Uh, yet he was, he was unsaved and, and somebody got to him and he received Christ and, and, you know, his life was changed and first he became a Christian in a church and every Christian should be in church. Hello? Hello? Somewhere, be in church. Thank you for watching, but get in church. It would be a happy situation if it went to zero and everybody was in church and there was nobody there anymore. We don't mind. Now, I understand some people are sick and it can help, but... But Christians ought to be in church, right? 
kids, kids of Christians ought to be in church, develop a lifelong habit of going to church. Uh, churches will have their ups and downs, be in church regardless, you need to be in church. So saved in church, serving the Lord, ordained for the ministry, you know, he said, I was just believing things that others had, you know, taught to me through generations. And, and that's like the woman at the well. Well, now what happens is he's in an area in the north of Thailand, and I'm trying not to be too specific, but um, at night, at night, under the cover of darkness, uh, when people are not supposed to go over the temple walls or go out through the temple gates, when everything is shut down. Uh, but at night, by stealth, uh, different of those monks will, some of them very senior, uh, will make their way out. And uh, they will go at night quietly to his home. And they will go into a back room, uh, a way where nobody can be seen from the street level. And they will sit down and they will want to talk to him about why did you go? And what is it you have found? That, that has you here. And he's well equipped in the language they use. They have their own language and the scripts they use and he can talk to them. And he'll talk and they'll talk and uh, they, don't, they don't want it to be known that he has those talks. A bit like Nicodemus at night. You know, when I heard it, I thought, boy, this is like Nicodemus. And he'll listen and then he'll just say at the end of it all, you know, he'll say, okay, so when you die, where will you go? And the end of it all, after all those discussions and all those scripts and all that generational teaching is, I don't know. I don't know. And he doesn't mock them in that. He goes, well, that's where I was at too. He said, but you can know. You can know. And many times people are just following things and it's not wise to just immediately tear down something that someone believes. So what did Jesus do? And what do you do? You're in cultural conflict. People are believing all kinds of things. You're caught in the middle of it. What you, you know what the truth of it is. You already know that. You know, you know how bizarre what they're saying is. It's not even you know, close to being right. What do you do? Well, you do what Jesus did. And if you look in John chapter 4, you say, why are you saying this? Because it contrasts. It contrasts with what these disciples did. And sometimes I, I fear we are more like them than we are like Jesus. Nobody's won in Luke chapter 9, though they were won later. But there was a lot won in John chapter 4. And, and so, you know, let me put it in context. He said, well, you say, we say, you know, you don't have anything to do with us, Jews, Samaritans. And, and you know, do you, you think he knew what was true? Of course he did. Of course he did. She says, well, our fathers taught us this, but you say this. And he did. Here's what he does. Here's what Jesus did. This is what you need to do too. Jesus preached Jesus. That's what he did. Look in verse 14. He said, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He said, I don't have a discussion about all that but let me talk to you about are you thirsty isn't it true that everything else you've tried has just come up short you have to come to this well every day but if you come to me you'll never thirst again 
Jesus preached Jesus. He could have said it straight. Could have said, well, you know, your fathers were wrong. He could, could, have, could have had a discussion. He didn't do that. He, Jesus preached Jesus. Do you know why? Because Jesus cared about her soul. And do you, do you know why we're going backwards? Because we don't preach Jesus. And I'm not, I'm not going to blame you for that, but, but if I asked you, in the last one week of your life, who you talked to Christ about, or the last one month, who you talked to about Christ. And, and, and you know, it's a, it's a, you answer it privately. But that's why we're going backwards. That's why we're going backwards. The devil is a master of getting you distracted with your own life. I, I, I don't begrudge you, but I watch you. You know what? You're too busy living for you. You, don't, you, don't, you haven't thrown God away, but he's, he's just... And, and, and I wouldn't say that you would purposely put him into a low priority, but that's just how it plays out. Because you have a plan for your life. You've already got it mapped out. You're, you're busy attaining and gaining. You've got a plan. And, and, uh, and you, you know, there's a little bit of Jesus there, and I'm not criticizing it, but I'm just watching the people of God get so absorbed in their life. And then, you know what? You're tired. And you've got no emotional energy to deal with it anymore. And you spend it in all the other places. You know, your kids are not supposed to dominate your home. They're supposed to just come with you as you serve God. You know, I, occasionally kids will say, you know, I've had, I've had one of mine say, and I don't think it was any, try to be nasty, but, you know, kids will reflect on things long after they're not kids. And often they'll put their own history on things. They'll put their own perspective on it. And, you know, I've had some of the kids say, well, you know, you weren't, you weren't there for my sport game. That's true. And, you know, when this happened, when I was playing sport, you weren't able to be there. And it's true what they say. And I say, well, I, you know, I, I didn't give you the sport game. I said, but let me ask you, what did I give you? What did I give you? What did you get? And, 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 you know, you'd be better off giving your kids a solid grounding in a local church, uh, a, a, a walk with Christ. You, you, you take other things you think are more important. And you, 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 you're not a lot different to anyone else out there. You're so busy, so busy, so busy. No one works with people anymore because everybody's too tired. Too tired. Well, you can barely keep yourself going, let alone give it out to someone else. Well, what's happening? We're unraveling. That's what's happening. Our, our, our bonds of love and affection are being tested. They're not as strong as they used to be. We're like many going our separate directions who come together for just a very short time in a week and then go back to where we were. And I'm, I'm just saying that 
that something is wrong with where we've got to. And I would say that in this church and many of the churches represented here, your spirituality already exceeds many, many other places. But are we comparing to that or should we compare to Christ? Should, should we compare to the places down the road or should we say, what would Jesus have me to do? And I, I just fear we've lost our way. And, and, I, and I fear with, with that pastor preached this morning on unbelief, unbelief is rampant in the church. It's not unbelief under salvation, but it's unbelief that God can work anymore. It's unbelief for miracles can happen anymore. It's unbelief for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit can happen anymore. And, and the people who are believing are dying off. And that's going to be a sad day when, when you don't even hear it anymore. And we, 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 there just needs to be some self-examination about where we're going and what we're doing and how we're living in our life. Jesus preached Jesus. Look in, uh, he said to her about the water and then he said in, uh, verse, look at verse 25 of John 4, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. He just never said it bluntly like that to anyone else. He just never said it that plainly. To, boy, he went around it, but just that plain. So I don't want to talk about mountains. I don't, I don't want to talk about that place, this place. I don't want to talk about their fathers. Your, I don't want to talk about that. How about you? Are you thirsting? Are you thirsting? You know, you've been drinking out of the wrong well. It's time to come back and find again what you once had. It's fine to come back again and just take hold of the Jesus that you used to believe in because he's the same. Like you've been bombarded by circumstances and many times our tiredness is just the result of our own living. It hasn't necessarily been God's way, it's just been our way. And there just needs to be a reassessment of those things. <coughs> Jesus, preach Jesus. What do you do? You need to preach Christ. You need to preach Christ. I went to Thailand. I don't know how you start a church in Thailand. I still don't know. You say, what did you do? I preach Christ. I preach Christ. I met people who could talk about mountains and fathers, but I didn't talk about that. I preach Christ. And I found when you preach Christ, to change people, get, people will get saved. Lives will get changed. And the other truths will find their way in their life. But you start off, you preach Christ. You preach Christ. You know, we used to have people in Australia preach Christ. And you don't even know the stories. You don't even know. You think it was always like this. Last week, uh, I was down south, Canberra. And uh, I looked over, and who should be standing there in Canberra? But John E. Cobb. You know who John E. Cobb is? John E. Cobb is the guy who does Herald of Hope. Okay, you understand Herald of Hope, the End Times magazine that has defended the Bible and premillennial truth. Here's John E. Cobb. He's bought an apartment in Canberra. 
lives in Canberra. Wasn't in church, I saw him out. He's bought an apartment near a shopping centre and there he was standing downstairs. Johnny Cobb's 88 now. Now, Herald of Hope have been used of God all over this country for I don't know how many years. I, I, I know 30, I would guess 40 years ago, they were popping up and others. I mean, they've just been active in, in he's been doing his part for God. So do you know what I did when I saw John E. Cobb? I went and said hello. He's 88. You know why I did that? Because I have great love for the men of God. And I greatly esteem their labours. And so I went over and uh, said hi and, and uh, I'd like to tell you he remembered me. He somewhat remembered me. And uh, we had a chat and we talked and uh, the car drove off. He was seeing some people off and they, do, 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 as they drove off and he gave a little wave and, and uh, he, said, oh, that's, uh, he said, that's my brother's family. And I said, oh. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, about my brother. And he told me a story. He said that uh, Johnny Cobb told me his father was the pastor of Hurstville Baptist Church in Sydney. So John E. Cobb's father, who lived, by the way, to 94. John E. Cobb is now 88. He said, I think I've got a couple more years left in me. And uh, he said, yeah, he said, that's my brother. He, he, my brother was a similar age to me. And he said, uh, he said my pastor, and my father pastored the Hurstville Baptist Church. And uh, he said, when my brother was uh, younger... Uh, he decided that he didn't want to walk with God anymore. He didn't want to have anything more to do with God. And uh, he said, I, I, remember, I remember the night he left Sydney uh, to be gone for, you know, decades. He said, uh, my father, he said he waited until dad was preaching in the church on Sunday night at the Hurstville Baptist. This was decades ago, many, many years ago. And he said he got with some friends in a hotted up vehicle that made a whole lot of noise. And he said uh, his farewell was to, was to come outside the church before he left and sort of burn it up. And he said they all yelled, hey, all yelled outside. Brother Ecob's telling me. He said it was a deep embarrassment to my father. He said, Brother Wayne, he said uh, he, he moved to Western New South Wales to get far away from God and my father and all the things of God. He said, funny thing happened. He said, uh, many, many years after that, he said there was a man in the church in Hurstville who worked for New South Wales Railways. And uh, he said he retired. And when you retired, he said the New South Wales Railways gave him a gold pass, which meant he could travel on the trains anywhere in New South Wales for free. So he said, uh, he said, Brother Wayne, this man was retired and uh, he, he wanted to serve God with his life. Well, hallelujah. And he said, uh, so what he would do, he said, being retired and having time and a free railway pass, he would go get a suitcase and fill it up with tracks. And he said, uh, then what he would do, he would board the railways to, to ride the train to a town somewhere in New South Wales. is back in the day. And he said then he'd get off, uh, just him and his suitcase of tracks, and he said he would go around those towns and he would knock on each door and he would give a track and preach Christ to each person at the door. Well, you know, people used to do stuff like that, Hello.
And so uh, he said he was out. He said he went to the uh, town of Canamble on the railway and got off and was making his way around and said he met a woman at a door who he gave a track. And, uh, and I was thinking, what is the connection with all this? And, and he said he won that woman to Christ. And he said by his own words, he said that she was soundly converted that day. And uh, she received Christ as her saviour at the door. Uh, and they prayed together. And she said, I'm sorry that my husband is not home, but he's working at the mines. But when he gets home this afternoon, I will tell him of what happened here today. And uh, the man said, wonderful, wonderful. He said, by the way, what's your name? She said, my name is Mrs. E. Cobb. He said, E. Cobb? He said, you're not... Uh, and it turned out it was the wife of John E. Cobb's brother. Uh, they had uh, moved, he'd moved to Canamble, was working in the mines. This man had taken a track and had gone to many houses, but he'd gone to that house, won that woman to Christ. When her husband got home, who was John E. Cobb's brother... She told him what happened. He broke down and said, we need to get back to church. And, uh, and through the preaching of that man, uh, he then went back and became, again, a prominent in, uh, in Christian circles serving the Lord. There was a time when people did that. I remember when I was 17, I was ELE's best customer for buying tracks. If Brother Sid Hunter was here, he'd tell you. I would buy 100,000 chick tracks to give them out at a time. Now, 100,000 chick tracks cost a lot of money even back then. You say, how'd you do? I'd raise the money to buy it. I didn't need the church to program it. It was a personal thing I did. You say, well, you, you, I believed it, folks. There was a time when people got out and preached Christ. We need to get back. We need to get back to focusing on what God would have us to do. We need to examine our lives. We need to think about what it is we're living for and just, and just weigh up carefully where we're going with all this stuff because the need, the need is for people to preach Christ. That's what we need. We need people who, do, who can believe that God can do it. Suzanne and I had a witness to a man that just looked terrifying about two weeks ago. I mean, he just was, you know, a bike, he was, and looked, he, looked, he looked terrifying. Uh, but I said, well, just tell him, you know, let's go with it. Very open to chat, very open to chat. But most people won't talk anymore. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Where does this all end? What's the plan? How many houses? Then what? When do you finish? What are you going to do then? What, what go, go, go grey nomading for two, three years? Is that the plan? What's the plan? What's the plan? And then what? Then what? Pass away somewhere and have a tremendous amount of regret about the ability that God put in you and the truth that God led you to and the times that God spoke to you and you batted it away. Let's, let's examine ourselves and see what the Lord would have us to do. But we need, we need to preach Christ. We need to believe again. Noah lived in a day of great cultural conflict. Noah built a boat, but Noah was never called a boat builder. 
Noah was called a preacher of righteousness. You'll die in the ministry if you're looking at yourself as a boat builder because you never came into it to build boats. Building boats will drive you nuts. But if you can keep your eyes on what you came into it for or find it again, it was always about Christ. That's why you came in. That's why you believed. That's why you went where you went. That's why you gave it all up. That's why you sacrificed so much. You did it for Christ. And you look up one day and you'll say, you know, this boat building, and you know the problem with that? You lost perspective. Because it it's not about that, it's about Christ. Let's go ahead and stand up. Let's have someone come to the piano. Let's have our, uh, uh, somebody play the piano. Let me ask you tonight, did God speak to you about something tonight? Uh, if he did, would you be willing to use an altar tonight? The piano is going to play. The altar is open. Uh, if God spoke to you, it's not something you have to disclose to another. But, but come, take a moment to pray. We need revival. We need it in ourselves. We need it in your life. We need it in your family. We need you to stake a claim to believe again what you always did believe. We need Christ. We need to preach Christ. We just need to lay it out before God. To preach Christ. Say, Pastor Shemish, others are not doing it. Don't worry what others are not doing. It's about you. If 99 people miss God, it doesn't mean that you can't find him in a great way. You can still get hold of God in a great way. You can still do it. What worked before still works tonight. And we just need to get it back again. And get it back. And you might need to say, Lord, you might have to dig deep to find this in me now because a whole lot of stuff I think has, has come over the top of this. But if you could dig it out again, if you could get it out again, that's what I want. God bless you. God help you. We'll give you time to pray. Uh, I wonder if the song leader would have a song ready to, uh, to sing. And then uh, pastor, as you uh, would lead us, is, is, is great. Take your time to pray. Prayers at altars are often very significant moments. If you're sitting in the pew, you want to sit down, that's up to you. Go ahead if you want to pray. I'm sure there's a lot to pray about. But let's just allow people to do business with God. You just never know what God can do in somebody's heart that can just rekindle a great fire. It can be a wonderful thing.